to see and to be seen is such a powerful value and such a powerful human desire. You know, I say that our, our two essential needs are to belong and to be seen in our self-expression. Mm. And we'll fight between those two. A lot of people choose belonging over self-expression, but then feel trapped. And uh, those that choose self-expression over belonging feel isolated. So when we have those two together, it's really powerful. And that, that is what you're doing. You're giving people permission to be their fully expressed self and belong because you're creating this interaction between you too that is joyful and full of goodness. Hi, I'm Colleen Nelson, licensed therapist, trauma expert, and fellow badass woman ready to rise up right alongside you. This podcast, Let the Rest Burn, is for the woman who has ignored, attacked, or even silenced her inner voice because she thought it was broken and needed to be fixed. It's for the woman who is ready to rise up and fully step into her desire, her joy, her full power, and make the impact she was destined to make. For the woman who cannot stand one more second waiting, watching, and witnessing the world crumble and is ready to rebuild and expand into a better future. For a woman who is so done trying to fix the world, she decided to start with healing herself and she let the rest burn. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Let the Rest Burn. Coco Nelson here, and I am on today with Joe Partavilla, podcaster and author of the book Good Listen. I'm so excited to have him on today. He's been very kind in coming on and dealing with a little bit of the rambunctiousness happening behind me. My dogs are at home, so be prepared to hear a bark or two. Welcome on the podcast, Joe. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Coco. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm usually on the other side of this asking the questions, so anytime I'm asked to be in a podcast where I get to answer questions. It's always more stressful for me because being the questioner and listening is, is comes so naturally to me. I've been doing it basically my entire adult life. So being on the receiving end is a little tricky. So I got to be on my, you know, I got to be on my best today, Coco. Oh, well, I'm excited. You're with the right person. I, I do happen to be a therapist. So. <laughs> oh, good. All right. So this would be a very therapeutic session. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So Joe, tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. uh, you've, got, you've got quite the history and I'd just love for them to hear a little bit more about you. Yeah. So I'm a kid who grew up in New Jersey to immigrant parents. My mom was a Cuban refugee. My dad was a sailor from Spain. They met here, fell in love, started a family. And growing up, I always wanted to be in show business. I really didn't have any other interests outside of like watching TV and movies and love sports too. But like TV and movies, like being in entertainment was like my dream. But I just didn't know how to do that. Again, kid with a, with a very normal working class family. I didn't have any quote unquote contacts or know anybody. Um, so I did what every kid does when they graduate high school and they go to college. And so while in college, I was going to a university in uh, New Jersey called William Patterson. And there I sort of was able to have my first sort of on hand sort of experience in media. So because I was I was not one of those lucky kids who nowadays, you know, they have these media programs in high school and radio stations and my high school didn't have any of that. We were lucky to have a football team. Uh, <laughs> so we didn't have any of that kind of stuff. So being able to like work in a real studio and and wow. and actually do things and make things. This is before like you can do things on a laptop. This is when you had to have a studio and stuff like that. So first day of school, I go down to the TV studio and I say, "Hey, I want to be on TV." And they're like, yeah, freshmen don't go on TV. I'm like, oh, okay. Walk down the hall to the radio station. I say, hey, I want to go on the radio. And they're like, what time you want to go on? Uh, so very low barrier of entry. And I was like, oh, cool. I, I think I could do this. And fell in love working, uh, working, well, working. I was doing it for, for free in college, but just being <laughs> able to do it 
uh, yeah. to an audience was like this really cool, fulfilling thing. But for some reason, I had the wherewithal. I, I'm not the brightest person in, uh, on the planet, Coco. You'll come to realize that. But I, I had the wherewithal in college, in my sophomore year, to be like, maybe I should get an internship and see if I like this as a career. Because I, on, mm. at this point, just you know, putzing around on uh, college radio, I didn't know if this was like something you could make a living doing or what are the people like in this industry. So right. I applied for an internship at this radio station in New York called WPLJ. And if anyone has ever uh, lived around the New York City area, familiar with those call letters, a legendary radio station, or was, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, <laughs> so I applied for the internship there for the sole purpose. It was the easiest radio station to get to. I was a scared little kid from New Jersey taking the train into Manhattan by himself for the first time. And mm. WPLJ happened to be located right above Penn Station in the, the sort of like the wow. travel hub of New York City. So it was very easy to get in and out to. So like, I can do this. I don't have to go on the big bad subway. I don't have to walk through <laughs> the, the crack laden streets of New York. Not that that's what it was. But as a kid, you're, you're scared of all this stuff. Um, of course. So I get this internship and it turned out to be the best decision I ever made because I ended up mm. spending the next 24 years of my life there. Started as an wow. intern, worked my way up, producing the show at night, then producing the morning show, eventually becoming the executive producer and the co-host of the morning show at this really legendary iconic radio station but in 2019 my radio station like many media companies across the, the globe were struggling mm -hmm. and what our parent company decided to do was they sold our radio station to a handful uh, to to a christian broadcasting company oh wow uh, yeah and so what that meant was we were all out of a job and i like to joke i was fired by jesus <laughs> i was uh, we you know there was a, I got a nice little severance package everything went well yes yes and, but still it, but it was it was it was it, it, and it was one of those things though coco i'm sure you've spoken to people like this when you've done something for so long mm -hmm. there's two ways to take it one is like whoo all right cool that's done or oh my god i can't believe it's over I was mm -hmm. the former. I was like, yeah, I mean, this is going to come to an end eventually. That happened in 2019. Fine. And that's when I transitioned into being a, a full-time podcaster. And um, basically what that meant was doing my own podcast, but also consulting and coaching people to do their own podcast with a company in Charleston, South Carolina called Forbes Books. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm uh, doing a podcast called The Forbes Books Podcast where I interview entrepreneurs, but uh, during the day I'm consulting, producing, and working with people to get their thoughts across via the podcast medium. Mm. What do you think is the biggest difference for you between radio and podcasting that you've noticed? Yeah, I think even though radio is probably the most intimate medium there is out there, I think podcasting takes it to an even more of a deeper level. Mm, so yes. it's not so in your face, especially me coming from morning drive radio, where it's a little more high energy and in your face. It's basically, it's in essence, it's, there, it's, a, it's a human alarm clock to right. get people yeah. to wake up in the morning. <laughs> but you have to do that. But in a way, podcasting still does that, but just at a different level. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm still myself, I'm, but I'm I'm no longer having to speak a mile a minute and get get across, you know, get a thought across in thirty under thirty seconds. Like you have more time to breathe. So uh, a lot of the skills from terrestrial to podcasting are very very transferable. It's just really more about tone and feel and vibe that's different from terrestrial to podcasting. Yeah, I could see that. You know, I find it really interesting for those that have kind of stumbled their way into their dream. 
Um, it's it's more common than you think, right? Mm. Like there there are people who are like, this is what I'm going to do, and then they they like take all the steps to get there, and they're like extremely committed. And then there's those that are like, you know, I have this dream, I have this desire, I have this this place I want to be, but I'm not really sure how to get there. So mm. I'm just going to follow one step at a time, which it sounds like in your path, it was this step, then this step, then this step. And it landed you in an, an incredible space. Uh, and I ask this question to every guest. So I want to know, and maybe there's a couple of different answers for this with you because you have you know, a couple big moments in your life thus far. But what did you have to burn in order to get to the place you are today, to feel the way you do about this transition, to be as excited as you are about podcasting? What did you find that you had to burn to get here? Yeah, one of the things that I noticed early on in my career uh, when I was working at, at PLJ was that I, like many young people, was just full of fear. I was yeah. scared if I, uh, pardon the phrase, shitless. Like I was just yeah. like, I had, I, I, I thought everything I was going to do was a mistake. I, I was working with, I mean, the folks I was producing were like legendary broadcasters, like one's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The other was like a huge TV star. So it was a lot of pressure. And then on top of that, you're in New York City with an average of 2 million people listening every day. So it's a lot. And yeah. I had to really shake that fear. And 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 this is going to sound weird, but it all comes down to the Tom Cruise movie, Risky Business. Oh, I love uh, that movie. <laughs> which, uh, some people may not remember it, but there, there's uh, there's a line in the movie that is sort of the common thread and sort of, sort of the ethos of, of the film, which is sometimes you just got to say F it. Sometimes, yes. guys, I mean, they use the actual F word in the movie. No, as, we uh, we cuss on this podcast. So okay, cool. Free. But I, I, I feel like the F word, uh, it's, it's too, it's too harsh sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, if, if, if I'm impassioned, I'll use it. But like, if I'm, if yes. I'm thinking clearly, I can, I could substitute it. Um, <laughs> and so th there was this time where I was starting out with the, with the morning show and I was constantly screwing up. I was constantly yeah. in my head. Um, one of my, one of my jobs was this really sort of simple task of making sure all the buttons were pushed back mm. when there were buttons uh, in, in the right place and everything like that. And I just constantly screwed up and I would constantly get like shit on and like, what's going on? Why can't you get this right? Blah, blah, blah. And then for some, whatever reason, the risky business popped in my head and mm. I said to myself, fuck it. I just, yes. just got to be myself. I just got to do what I do. And if this doesn't work, it's just not meant to be. I was like 20 years old. Like I, and and to, to be put in this position, trust me, there are more stressful jobs on the planet. But for me, a kid who's just like from the Jersey suburbs, who never really had to deal with pressure because I had a great family. I had a really good support system. But then all of a sudden to be on your own and trying mm -hmm. to be part of this giant media company, it was a lot. And I was just so deep in my head. And I was like, I got to F it. I, if, if I can't do this and I'm not meant to do it. And ever since then, it sort of just snowballed and it, mm. and it really fueled my career where I, you know, and of course we always get this imposter syndrome where we always get in our own head, but it was one of the things that was one of these clarity moments that we all yes. experience in our life. And it was, it, and it, again, it's one of those things, like you said, stumble, like I stumbled into this. It was just like one day I was like, I just got, I just got to let go of all of it. And it, turned out to be the thing that sort of fueled me and didn't you know took took it really took the reins off and just was it, it free me up to be myself do do what I was supposed to do and do what I was I feel like I'm I'm here to do as a human being and uh it just was able to kind of fuel me the rest of the way Ooh. 
Well, I, I love, there's a couple of concepts that come up for me when I hear you say that. So I work with a lot of different kinds of people, but entrepreneurs are definitely part of my clientele. And imposter syndrome is something that to me is an indication of health. If you don't have imposter syndrome, you're probably an actual narcissist, right? So we really, we really need to have an edge of like, am I qualified every once in a while? But how, how you counteract that thought is surrender. It's this idea of I, I can do my best. It, it might be a messy best, but I either grow and change or I learn something about this not being the right fit for me. Mm. And that, that's across everything. But in terms of leadership or stepping into a role that might be a little stretchy or, or asking you to grow, I find that if you don't have that element of surrender, if you try and control every piece and you try and show up as perfect as you can, it actually ends up sabotaging mm. your ability to show up with your truth and with your you know messy middle, which is really what people want to see. They want to experience a leader. They want to experience people in a position of power that are like them. That mm. can be relatable. So yeah. I really love that that's, that is your statement because I think it's so relevant. I'm curious, did it translate outside of your career? Did you find that statement work in relationships and parenting and in all of the different areas of life? Yeah, I will say, well, first I, I want to say I spoke to Tony Robbins once and he said that imposter syndrome is bullshit. Like his big <laughs> thing is, it, and mm. I'm, I'm like, and the way he says this is, it's not that it's a thing. It's in essence fear, and you've talked it about it. It's it's it it's is. another word for fear. It um, is. So that's so just it's a funny not thing a about that. it's not a syndrome. I think right. that's that's the thing is it makes it like oh I have this thing. It's like yeah. no, you're experiencing humility and fear, which yeah. is a good thing. And how you got to move through it. You yeah. got to move through it. Absolutely. But Tony, to, I love Tony Robbins, but um, I'm glad he can. He's got to he's got to make sure he's got that edge of humility at all times. As do like Oprah and like anybody yeah. at the top top top, mm -hmm. right? And he's Tony Robbins, I have a love-hate relationship with him, but I really he has changed the lives of many of my clients, oh, so I will give yeah. him props to that. I'll no, give him props. Absolutely. So, I will say it's funny. So, my career when when you're on more, in morning radio, you're on 4 hours a day, 5 days a week, basically spilling your guts about what's it going on in your life, what you're thinking. Um, basically, your life is exposed. So that's why the line between my professional life and my personal life has always been very blurred. Um, so there it's, and you know, the old work life balance thing that was, you know, <laughs> I, that really didn't exist for me, because my life was my work, but also, it was the way I wanted to live. Like, I love yeah. this idea where I can have like before social media, like if I had a problem with something or was was a fan of something, I could just go on the radio and talk about it. And, yes. then, and it was like so it was just it was very much I was living my life on the air. So in, in terms of like my personal relationships, Coco, it's it was basically the same thing. Like I was I love that you know, on, on the radio. I was a heightened version. And I write about this in, in my book about uh, the spinal tap reference of be yourself at 11, um, mm. like on the radio, I'm myself at 11. And someone listening to this, Coco, might be like, man, this guy's really obnoxious. Is this guy like this all the time? I will say most of the time, yes. Like, this is me. <laughs> but when I'm on air or doing a, a podcast like this, it's just me super focused, super heightened, and yes. just more aware of my surroundings as opposed to, like, my normal self. I'm just as, as obnoxious as I am right now, except it's just more of, like, it's not as <laughs> constant. It's more of just, like, <laughs> I'm just living, you know, my life 24-7. I love the ownership. I, you know, there's a concept of like this too muchness that happens all the time. And I, I am all about being 
as much as you can possibly build. I want people to fill up space, right? I mm -hmm. want to feel your essence the moment you walk in the room. And that can be in so many different levels, right? Maybe your essence is loud and proud. Maybe your essence is cool and internal, but I want to feel it. I want you to be in your too muchness. And so you're giving people permission to do that, which I think mm -hmm. is really powerful. And you did that on radio, you're doing that in podcasting, and you're doing that as con as a consultant as well. You know, I see a lot of podcasters or or new people come into this space and they get so nervous and they're not sure how to get their message across. And they really do need that mentorship and that consulting to figure out how to really show up they, the way they want to on the podcast. Yeah, and, and on the subject of imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome, <laughs> I forgot all about it. On the, the fake subject, one, yeah, the big one. It was so funny too because I experienced that when I transitioned from radio to podcasting because. I was going from speaking to artists, musicians, actors, and transitioning to business people, CEOs, entrepreneurs, people who created multi-million dollar businesses. And at one point during that, the early days, I was like, what am I going to say to these people? I don't have an MBA. I don't follow Bloomberg News. I don't wake up and watch CNBC. But what I realized was circling back to my risky business effort moment, I was like, effort. These people, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. It's people who want to tell their story. And as someone who's a podcaster, as someone who works in media, at the end of the day, you're the avatar for your community or your audience. So that's what all I can do is just be the person in the room asking the questions that whoever was listening would want them asked. And so even at this point in my life, you know, being in middle age, I, I, it, it still hit me, but I was able to process it faster because I'd been through the wars. I I figured myself out, yes. but it, I was worried. I was like, man, what can I possibly ask an entrepreneur? Well, I mean, you know, and all these acronyms that people in business use, yes. like acronym yes. soup and word salad that they speak. It's all just BS. But if you work through it and you're just empathetic and you listen to people, it doesn't matter what they do for a living. It really doesn't. Uh, my wife my wife jokes with me all the time that I can have a conversation with anyone. We have friends who have like 80-year-old parents and have kids that are, in their four, that are in their early teens. And I could speak to both of them when I go over to their house, you know? Yes. And so it's it, it, in essence, it's really just about being a curious person. And if you, curiosity fuels your ability to listen – and that's, I've made a career out of that. I mean, it's basically mm. all I've done my entire life is being able to use those sort of like intangible skills and make a tangible income. Yes. <laughs> important. Um, so <laughs> that's just really the, the essence of who I am, Coco. Oh, I love that phrase. Curiosity, you know, fuels your listening skills. That is, that's extremely powerful. And I just want to say it again because, and, and especially coming from a man, I'm just going to give you some major, major credit here. I work with men and women equally, and we talk through communication all the time. And I say to men all the time, not saying women don't, don't need this statement too, but be curious, be curious, be curious, be curious curiosity leads to better listening skills and your capacity to just actually care what someone is saying or thinking or what's behind what they're saying or thinking makes you extremely relatable. Hmm. And it opens the door for those conversations. I have a similar vibe. Mine's a little different and a little darker in the sense that people can talk to me anywhere because it, the second they find out or the second I sit down and I don't know, I breathe, they recognize I'm a trauma therapist and I, I they like just open the door and mm. tell me their deepest secrets. And as, as powerful as that is, because it, I think it's important people can speak, you know, those, those hard truths, 
it takes a lot for me to remain in that place of curiosity. And I always come back to that. If I can get curious about what's happening behind the scenes and not take everything personally or immediately get defensive when somebody says something, it offsets so much escalation that can happen between humans. Mm. And I, I imagine you have interviewed many a people, some of which may be difficult to interview. And the curiosity is that kind of beautiful underlayer that helps you get behind the scenes when people are a little bit more brisk yeah. or, or defensive, if you will. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say, Coco, I think curiosity, it's one of the re- – if, if you think about the root of all of the problems we have in this world, this planet, whether it comes to political divisiveness, relationship issues, problems at work, it all comes from a lack of curiosity. Why do people yes. in different tribes of, of the Democrats, Republicans, why do they argue? Because they're not curious about what the other person – they don't care why they the other person care. is there. When a relationship <laughs> is going awry, it's because one or both of the partners – don't care about what the other person's seeing, feeling, doing. So if you ever find yourself in that situation, and I do, and it happens to me too, even though I wrote a book about it and like I talk about it all the time, we, we're human, so we all fall in those traps. I will sometimes have a, a like a mental moonstruck moment where I'll slap myself and like snap out of it and like yes. be present, be be listening, be there, a hundred percent. So it happens to us all, but I think it's all about. And it's wor- the word intentional gets thrown around a lot. Yes. Coco, I'm sure you use it a lot. Oh, yeah. But it's important. <laughs> it's important that a lot of this doesn't come naturally. Like being yeah. curious, being a listener doesn't just happen in cruise control or autopilot. For some people, it does. And for me, a lot of the times a day, it does. But then there's other times where I, I, I have to be completely intentional and be be uh, remind myself to be 100% in the moment. So – I always tell people if there's any, if you know, when people tell people say like, I want to be a better listener. Well, be more curious. I mean, that's as yes. simple as I know it's it's a oversimplified way of saying things, but you are not going to listen to something or be engaged in something if you're not curious. It's just mm-hmm. human nature. There's no way you could be the greatest listener on the planet without being curious. It just they are not <laughs> they are not separated anyway. They are interconnected all the way. Yes, yes. Have you ever heard of the book A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? I'm familiar with the title, never read it. Oh, okay. Highly suggested. It's it's actually a shorter read, but he's a survivor of the Holocaust, and he went on to be the founder of existential psychology. And he talks about meaning and purpose as as being connected to hope. And he uses this concept. I've I've coined it the empathy shield, hmm. but he describes it as you know, as he was living through that experience, he noticed the people that survived were deeply connected to a sense of meaning Mm. and a sense of hope. And the way they did that was to get curious about the people who were harming them or the people that were making these terrible decisions, what was behind it, Yeah. right? Like, Like this is happening, this person is saying this thing to me, but I wonder, you know, what happens at home for this person or how that person grew up? Or, you know, is their family threatened if they didn't show up today? And it kept them going in a way that actually increased their chances of survival. So mm-hmm. when he when he left and he founded this form branch of psychology, he talked about the very essence of us being able to navigate difficult and hard things is to remain curious and mm-hmm. to connect it to a deeper meaning and understand that most time most of the time people are operating out of a space of fear. And we're, we as humans are trying to counteract that with hope, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to counteract this fear response that a lot of us have with this idea of surrender, hope, presence, 
because fear is always going to be in the car. We just don't want it in the front seat. We want it mm-hmm. in the back seat, right? And yeah. it's a fascinating book and it, it has so many different layers to it. But I'm always, I'm always in awe with how powerful the empathy shield is because it mm. doesn't matter who says something to me or who attacks me or who, it doesn't matter. If I can get into that space of, I wonder what's behind this for them. Yeah. And, and, and why they're showing up this way. It just takes the sting out every single time and keeps me in that curious space rather than stepping into that triggered defensive space. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, and also in a way too, it, it, it takes you out of that judgmental space. Yes. Because uh, just you talking uh, just then I was, I was, I just started thinking about all these thoughts of how we're so quick to uh, describe something as problematic that happened 30 years ago. Like, for example, yes. like a movie from the 80s. Someone will be like, well, that film was problematic. And I'm like, but why? W- yeah. Is it ju- ju- you're just judging it? But what? maybe back in the 80s, this is how people thought. This is how media was made. Instead of just being like, oh, yeah, that's problematic. But why? Yeah. Like, everything is if, if, 30 years from now, th- things are happening t- t- today are going to be problematic. But Always. instead of just labeling something and judging something, it's like, why? Like why was why were these decisions made? Why was this film made? Why why was the voice of the filmmaker this instead yes. of just like late, just throwing a, a random label as something as problematic? And again, things are. I'm yeah. not. I'm not <laughs> saying they're not. I'm just saying as to instead of just simply labeling yes. things, and that and again removes us from curiosity. It's like oh that's problematic. I'm not. I'm done. That's a, well, that's and, a bad thing. So, and I'm going to say this and it might be slightly controversial, but I'm going to say it anyways. And I say it on lots of podcasts. So it's not, it's not a new concept, but I work with a lot of survivors. Okay. I work with a lot of victims and survivors. And, and one of the things I say is here, here's where we need to transition from. There's three different levels of healing for people. Okay. The first, well, I'm going to say four, actually. <laughs> The first one is not healing. It's just denial and avoidance, right? So that first layer is like, nothing happened to me. I'm fine. Mm. I'm totally okay. And you just kind of end up projecting all over everybody because you won't admit that you've been through something difficult. And all of us, every human on this planet has had an experience of trauma. I will just say that out loud, okay? But we deny it. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to learn. We don't want to grow. We're just, we're just safely kind of compartmentalizing it. Those people can be really dangerous in conversations because what's happening inside their body, they're always going to blame you for. They're not going to take ownership of it because they don't understand that it's connected to something deeper in their past. So level two, or I guess the first stage of healing, is is actually identifying that you were a victim in some way, shape, or form. Mm. And nobody wants to be a victim, right? We don't like that word. We don't like using it. But it's there's this idea of having empathy for your younger self or the, the self that experienced that difficult moment, whatever that might be, and allowing yourself to actually feel the emotions that weren't accessible to you at that time. Mm. And then you get to this next stage, which is survivor. And this is where a lot of the judgment comes out. Okay, this is this is a stage of healing where you are taking back that power. You're allowing yourself to have that sacred rage. You're pissed at the system, right? And collectively as a community, we've kind of stepped into that survivor mentality after the early 2000s and 9-11 and a lot of the like extreme tragedies that have happened in our culture and then the global phenomenon of just shoving it in our face. Now we're stepping into a place of just like anger, 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 frustration, you know, protest. Like, and I'm not opposed to that. This is part of healing. Mm-hmm. But what happens is we're not quite at that last stage yet because the last stage is advocacy. And this is the place where you have healed your internal world enough 
you have grieved, you have experienced empathy for that, that part of you that's a victim, and now you're ready for change. And change involves compromise, involves curiosity, it involves seeing the human behind the perpetrator, it involves the, the step that's really hard, which is working with people that view things differently than you, working with people that have those judgments to pull out the humanity in all of us. And collectively as a community, we're not quite at that stage yet. So we see a lot of this happening. And I think that's when you're talking about people looking back at media, looking back at history, like we're in that rage phase, right? How could this have happened? <laughs> you know, like Britney Spears hit me one more time. That yeah. music that came out when I was a preteen. And I think about that. I'm like, wow, that was that was a video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Can I pull a thread a little bit about victimhood? Because I'm, I'm curious yes. if something yes. you do. There are people out there, a, a large segment uh, of this world that doesn't believe in victimhood. Like right. they think yeah. there's no, you're not a victim. And I, I think it's kind of gross when people do that because I never want to ever, like, I never want to take away what everyone else is feeling. Like, do you have to be yourself? Correct, but yeah. what is your thought on that? Because I see it all the time and I, it's usually from someone who's very ultra successful and they're yeah. like, there's no such thing. So it mm -hmm. always comes from a, a higher power. But yeah. what what is you, what do you say to people who say there's no there's no such thing as a victim? You're not a victim. Nothing happened. Mm -hmm. No one did anything to you. Mm -hmm. What do you say to those people? Well, depends on the context where I'm with them, right? Okay. So if they're in my therapy room, I smile and I get excited to dig into why they're so afraid to be a victim themselves, right? I just turn it right back around and I'm like, ooh, okay. So let's talk about your childhood. Mm. Um, so that's usually where I'll dig in if if they're in my therapy room. If I'm on an interview or it's just like a person that I'm meeting, you know, I say I typically say and I get curious. That's an interesting perspective. I'm curious about why you feel that way. I'd love mm. to hear more, and mm. I make them deepen it. So it's no longer just this phrase they throw out. Yeah. Like, this is what it is. I'm like, tell me more about that. I want to know why. I'm yeah. curious about this piece. And then they struggle because it's really difficult to actually justify that position. It, it's, it's one of those quotes you can have on a wall, but makes no sense because it has no context. Because in order to grow, you need to mess up and you need to make mistakes and you need to recognize when you're harmed. You need to recognize when you have harmed others, right? And if you don't do that, then you're just bypassing it all and pretending it doesn't exist. And those are also the people that get to the top and hate their lives mm. and don't understand why they have everything they ever wanted, but they're so miserable inside. Mm. So it's, I feel for them, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff they're missing in terms of life uh, yeah. by having that phrase. It's it's funny that people are are weird like that. We're so fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's because I, I you know there's a lot of these wars about like labels and genders and stuff like that. And I hate the phrase I don't care because it's it's such a like a, a lazy thing. But <laughs> but I always say why do you care? Like of all the things, like you can ask them like what's your favorite uh, you know pizza top? I don't care. But when you're when you when you get so hung up on either people labeling themselves, identifying whatever what have you. They get enraged over like, why do you care about what this person wants to label themselves as, identify like? And again, it, I know it's kind of contradictory because I hate the phrase "I don't care," but I still don't understand why people care so much yeah. about things like that when it has to deal with someone else. If it's not you, why do you care? Of all the things to worry about, there's so much going on in this world and in your own lives. Why do you care if someone across the street from you wants to be? wants to use a different pronoun like what is it about that that drives you and i guess i mean you i'm sure you have more experience than that and probably have a better answer for it but I, to me i don't understand that at all yeah it all comes back to fear 
It's all fear. I think that's it, why do people care most of the time? Fear, mm. fear and meaning. It's like it's split between the two. We are afraid of things we don't know. We are afraid of things that make us feel things in our body that are unknown or different or weird. It's we, we fear it because our, our primal nervous system is not very evolved, right? Think about how much has happened in the last 300, 400 years. Our hindbrain has not had enough time to catch up. And it's like, what? the fuck is happening? Mm, (laughs) Okay. And it's scared of everything. I mean, truly, we're used to living in these small communities in this like one environment that we can adapt to. And we know where the tiger is and we know where the water is and like everything's good, right? Our frontal cortex are more adept at this and can be like, oh yeah, I know the nuances, but that's not where our like subconscious shit comes from, right? We are acting from a primal space more often than you think. Mm. And so people experience that feeling in their body of discomfort and fear and then their frontal cortex grabs it and is like "Ooh, i'm afraid of that Mm. right that's a dangerous thing and this is the kind of point in evolution where humanity hasn't quite caught up to itself yet Mm. and we're seeing it play out and for those of us in this field who interview people and are exposed to a lot of different opinions and a lot of different ideas you can see it you can see it when somebody gets activated in their primal center and they just kind of lose their capacity for reasoning and curiosity because they step into that space. Do you think that fear evolved from us being cave people worrying about being eaten by a tiger to now that we don't have that fear? So now fear has moved on to something else. Is there something to that, that like now all of a sudden our fears are different than they used to be? You know, if you got a cold, you were dead the next day, you know, and and, yes. And or if you lived in the the jungle, you can be eaten by something or bitten by something. So has fear now moved to like, oh, okay, now I have to worry about what someone's gender is going to be, what pronouns are using. Like, is that is that something there? It it comes back to the unknown. We fear the unknown, period. We actually so here's here's an interesting fact. So our nervous system is actually more afraid of the unknown than it is afraid of the known threat. Hmm. So if I've never experienced peace before, right, if chaos has been my lived existence, I will feel more comfortable moving towards chaos. That will feel safer for me than like a peaceful moment sitting by a lake. That is actually, that's going to activate my nervous system far more than being in the middle of a chaotic subway because my nervous system is used to being hypervigilant. So the known threat is actually what makes us more comfortable than the mm-hmm. unknown threat. And so that's what you're talking about is, sure, as as cave people, you know, we had a known threat. We knew um, we were afraid of the unknown far more than anything else. And right now we have a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. We have a ton of them. And this is making everybody's nervous systems like literally go haywire. And especially the older generations, right? Because they grew up in a space where they weren't as overstimulated as we are now. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, you've got the the boomers and you've got the Gen Xers and you've got the millennials and you've got the Gen Zers and then got this awesome alpha generation coming up that's just going to change the world. (laughs) Um, But like I love the Gen Xers because they are like kind of that crossroads between the two where they're like, you know, I'll figure it out. Um, Then and and it's really cool to look at it from a generational perspective and how fear has developed over those ages because you can really see it in real time. Yeah. And it's funny too. I mean, you may notice this as well is like, we often don't care about other people, but then care about what they have to say, which is very weird. Like, I don't care if this person is homeless or have a mental health. I don't care. But then if they say something that's going to bother me, I'm like, oh, wait, now, 
now I have a problem with this person. Now I do. Well, and yeah. that goes that goes back to the meaning, right? So if you think about what your values are and what creates meaning for you in your life, those are the spaces that are going to trigger things deeper for you, right? Mm -hmm. So if, you know, let's say you're like extremely passionate about the grass being green. You're like, I got to have my grass be green, you know, and <laughs> some some, you know, homeless person is living over here and you're like, I don't care if they live there, but then they come over and they pee on your grass, okay? And you're like, now I homelessness need the, all of them need to leave our entire area, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. now my grass is not green. It's it feels so personal, whether it be words, whether it be an action. It's like when it connects to something that we care about, and not everybody's values are great values. Mm. Okay, we're just I'm just gonna say that not everybody's values are great. Sometimes if you value, you know, your grass being green over humanity, I might judge you a little bit. There might be yeah. there might be some judgment. I'll try and get curious, but I might be like, mm, I'm gonna judge you a little bit. So, yeah. so so I think it's so interesting, you know, when you think about and I and I really I want you to think about this question because I know it's it's a big one, but when you think about what you value the most and how that has like led to who you are today, you know, what like deepens you into meaning and purpose? If you can think about I'm asking you like a value question, but yeah. what kind of comes up for you when when that word arises and this is gonna sound weird but i think it's always like i'll always be the scared little fat kid who just wanted to make people laugh i mean i really just like being able to make people think make people mm. smile make people like enjoy the moment they're in with me and and this is not something i'm very intentional about it just it's part of my dna yeah. uh when i go out to a restaurant uh I, and i'm i'm that guy who calls a waiter by their name and ask them how they're doing. Like I'm, I genuinely am like that because I feel like that one interaction that I'll have with this person is probably the only time I'm going to interact with this person. Why not make it a good one? Mm. Um, I'm always not, I'm a lapsed Catholic, uh, but uh, I live by the golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated. And again, I'm a super simple guy, Coco. I don't need to tell you that you could probably, you could probably get that by now, but just those, the simplicity in life is something that I feel we kind of just take for granted or sometimes too busy to be thinking about that, mm -hmm. you know, why shouldn't every interaction be good? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, some are not going to be good. There's going to be, no. you know, I've just had a one with my accountant a couple of days ago. So <laughs> there's going to be days like that. They're not all going to be good, yeah. but if you can set out to make them good. And so that's why I've, I felt like having a, a, you know, a couple decades career in radio, like my job was just like to entertain people, find mm. stories that make people laugh, come up with an anecdote that, will get people thinking. And um, that sort of just transferred into podcasting now. And even though I do business podcasts there, I, I treat them as not businessy. Like I, yeah. I talk more about like why this person came up with this thing, what, what it is, what it took them to build it. Like all of this, like the comic book origin story stuff that people find yes. so fascinating. I just transfer that into the business realm. I don't know what a KPI OKR stands for. I don't know what any of that means, but I do know <laughs> what a cool product is or the fact that uh, a company's employed, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to do this one thing and they've given them lives and, and changed generations forever. So to me, it's super simple. It's just like trying to make sure whatever interactions I have with human beings, and my wife may disagree with this, but uh, because she lives with me 24 seven, but <laughs> Uh, for most people, I just always want it to be a good interaction. And I never want people to walk away being like, what the hell is up with that guy? Mm. Um, so yeah, I know it's super simple, but I feel like that's, you know, talking about like how my career, my professional and personal life is so blurred. It's like, at the end of the day, both of those things coexist in the same world for me. It's like, hey, listen, no matter what I do, I just want to 
be good at it and hopefully someone gets something good out of it in exchange. Ooh. So I, you know, when I hear you say that, it's like uh, my perception of that is you want to feel seen and you want people to feel seen. It's that because we want to be seen in our goodness, right? If, if, mm-hmm. if I, if people say to me, I don't feel seen, I don't feel understood. It's they're, they're saying people don't see my goodness. They don't see my intent, my, my skills, my gifts, the things that I actually want to bring into the world. And for you, that was humor and lightness and, and creating an experience for people where they got to walk away and say, wow, I really, I really enjoyed that moment with Joe. Mm. And I think that when you do that, you force people to also see within themselves, right? It's this idea of this interaction where it's like, Ooh, I am good. I am deserving of love. I am deserving of a joyful moment. And to see and to be seen is such a powerful value and such a powerful human desire. You know, I, I say that our, our two essential needs are to belong and to be seen in our self-expression. Mm. And we'll, we'll fight between those two. A lot of people choose belonging over self-expression, but then feel trapped. And uh, those that feel that choose self-expression over belonging feel isolated. So when mm. we have those two together, it's really powerful. And that that is what you're doing. You're giving people permission right. to be their fully expressed self and belong because you're creating this interaction between you two that is joyful and full of goodness. So wow. I love You said that. it better than I did. Uh, obviously, you can tell you're educated. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, and well, also, too, I think Stop it's so that. easy. It's so easy, Coco, if you think about it. Like one of the things I, I remember reading The Secret many, many years ago, which yes. I'm sure. Yes, yes. And, and I don't remember much of it. I always remember there was always like a scene about someone wishing they had a car, and then they got a car. But there was this one, <laughs> I know, it's goofy, but there was this one little part of it that said, you know, if you wish someone well at the end of a conversation by saying God bless, it it kind of like it brings this positive energy, positive vibes. And for some for whatever reason, I still do that. Like I'm wow. not a religious person, Coco, but like whenever I have interaction with someone, I'll say, hey, you know, thank you, God bless. And it's so funny. I would say 50% of the time people will be like, oh, okay, cool. But then the other 50% of the time, people will be like genuinely touched. They're like, mm. oh, well, thank you very much. And like it cost me nothing. Yeah. It costs me nothing to be so grateful about this person. I'm not saying God bless if someone screwed up my lawn, the right? one that you're talking about. <laughs> I'm not saying God bless to that. But if it's someone went out of the way, either was uh, waited on me in a restaurant or, or provided a service, what what is so hard to show appreciation, mm. to show a, a love? Uh, yes. You know, in in that uh, in that respect to other people, and I think that's one of the things that drives me crazy about people who have issues work, you know, either working with other people, living with other people, because as long as you like intend to be nice, you're going to make mistakes. I do it. I've said stupid things in the past that I regret, but as long as you can acknowledge it and people know you're coming from a good place, that's really all that matters because you cannot, you know, no person wants to be defined on their worst day. So if you can look past that person's worst day and say, like, where are they coming from? What is their background? What what got them here? Why are they acting this way? Then you can see how we can easily get along in this world. Yes. Um, yes. And so I always that to me, that's always been important is to just be like the my best self as I possibly can. I mean, some days I'm going to be cranky. Some days I'm not going to want to talk. But there's it's just so easy to give someone a wave or a hello or thanking them for something. It's just, it's really not asking for much. And I've been on this high horse lately, Coco, about the busy culture that we live in. Mm, yes. Everyone's so busy. Mm-hmm. The four, it's, it's become this four letter word that has created a moat mm-hmm. around human beings. And Coco, I'm sure you've experienced this when you go to someone like, Hey, can you do this? And the person says, I'm busy. 
all of a sudden, oh my God, this per- I cannot possibly ask this person for a thing because they've said they're quote unquote busy. And yeah. we all think this. Why? I mean, how busy are you? People (laughs) listen to three-hour Joe Rogan podcasts and and binge eight-hour Netflix shows. Are you that busy? No, you're not. So, and and so I've actually, I've actually really been intentional about this, Coco. I have every time I'm about to say the word busy, I change it. I pivot it. So someone will say like, you know, how was your day? I'm like, oh, you know, I had, you know, two or three really good meetings or something like that. I'll try to like be more specific and provide more context as to throw the busy word. And I don't know, I may write a book about this one day because it drives me crazy because it's one of these things that it's people use it as a shield. Yes, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go try new experiences. I'm not going to meet new people. I'm not going to try something new. I'm not going to go to a restaurant. I'm not going to do anything because I'm quote unquote busy. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we're busy. I get it. <laughs> I get it we're busy, yeah. but we're not that busy. Right, right. We're not having to make our bread from scratch every morning to eat. Right. Yes. There you <laughs> like, go. Or the worry about those tigers. Those tigers yes. are not around. That's we're not busy. having to worry. Yeah. That's busy. That's busy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's I think about the word busy or busyness as actually a trauma response. Mm. It is our fear of stillness and quiet and presence. It's our fear of true connection. We don't want to, we're afraid of it because the second that we pause and we allow that spaciousness, that's when our feelings actually come up. That's when uh, vulnerability comes up. And, you know, we all crave connection, but we don't want to make space for it because we're afraid of it. Right. And, and that busyness has become the thing that helps us stay shielded from Mm. vulnerability. And I I think I actually, I literally did a, a live on this in my Facebook community yesterday and I like made I did a thing I was like we're all gonna just like sit here for 30 seconds and be quiet Mm -hmm. and I was like I bet y'all are so uncomfortable but I think the other piece of it is is people don't know how to set a boundary right when when somebody asks you hey can you go out tonight you're like oh no I'm busy it's that's that's a a a flippant boundary instead of saying hey you know I'd love to go out with you tonight but I'm really tired and I actually just want to go home and stare at the wall for three hours and have nobody talk to me because that feels really good for me Mm-hmm. I would love to go out to dinner with you next week. That sounds great. Wednesday is good for me. That is that is a boundary and then an invitation for connection. Mm. But we're so afraid to piss people off or hurt their feelings that the busy word feels like a good excuse because it's accepted yeah. in our culture. Oh, you're busy. You must be important and things yes. must be happening for you. <laughs> right. A lot of busy work to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's so funny. And, and it's and you make a great point because I feel like we all – we all, I mean, I joke, we're busy, but we're really not. Like we, we, we would, we will go out of our way for things that are important. And one of the examples I like to use is the book and movie was he's just not that into you. Yes. Uh, yes. To me, that is sort of like the microcosm of busy. Yes. It's if so you think true. about it from the, from the, the, from the playing field of relationships and when you're dating, you are not going to put in the time for someone who you're not that interested in or attracted to or whatever. So you will show those signs of like, yeah, maybe I'll check in with them. If you're into that person, you are going to call, you are going to text, you're going to, Hey, I I happen to be nowhere near your neighborhood and stop by. Yes. And I think that's sort of like the busyness gene of like, you used busyness as an excuse for like, Hey, I'm sorry. I would have called you. I haven't called you in three weeks because I've been busy. Bullshit. Yeah. If you were really into that person, 
there's no ma- there's no matter of busyness, no busyness moat or fence or wall that will prevent you from reaching out to that person. So I always take that busyness sort of quote into, and tie it into he's just not that into you because basically what they're saying is I just don't care. Coming back, coming back to the care thing, but I just do not care what you want to do with me because I am too busy to do that. Yes. I like the word unavailable. I'm just unavailable for that, right? It's like they might care, but they're unavailable for it for whatever reason. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I love my parents. I care about them. I am not available for them all the time, Mm. you know, and I'm not available for them for many different reasons. I am available in certain ways, but I think that especially in relationships, if you are unavailable, aka you got some shit to work through or like you got a lot of stuff going on or you're still secretly in love with this person over here, (laughs) um, you will use busyness. You will use the flaky. You will use the like one toe in, one toe out to kind of play with the idea of being available, but you're not actually available. So sometimes it's not even about how, how you feel about this person, right? You could meet the love of your life. You know, I joke around, um, <laughs> I'm single right now. And I'm like, yeah, you know, one day when me and Jason Momoa are like on our private yacht, because <laughs> he actually, he's uh, he lived for a bit in my hometown. So I always joke about him returning here and falling madly in love with it's, me. It's possible. <laughs> It's possible. But like, it's, it's this moment of like, even if he were to walk into my life, if I wasn't in an available place, I don't know how I would sabotage that, right? Even Mm -hmm. if I wanted to be open and ready for something like that, if you're not available, you're going to find ways to get busy, or you're going to find ways to do that. So it's a combination of I'm just not that into you. And I'm just not that into myself. I haven't done my work. And I don't know a good thing when I met it. In fact, I'm scared of that good thing. So I'm going to go over here and go to this really bad thing that is casually available and Mm. continue with that because I'm not ready for the real thing. And so it's a combination. Do you think that's why adults have trouble making friends? Yes. I think, I think we have trouble making friends because (laughs) like number one, we're actually afraid of what a true friendship would mean. We'd have to be honest with somebody. We'd have to, you know, create some vulnerability and connection. Um, We'd have to be available to them. And I'm really busy. You know, mm, I've heard that, <laughs> but I think I really think it's the fear of the responsibility and that, it, that like, if I, what I want from an adult friendship is somebody I can call and hang out with and someone I can tell truth to, right? Mm. Well, guess what? They want the same from you. And so if you're not in a space where you're ready to do that, you're going to avoid making friendships all across the board. Mm. And I think people I over- are afraid of that, you know? I also think people are, uh, to, to bring back intentionality when you're a kid you make friends with the kids around you. So yes. like it's the school or a playground. So there's no need to be intentional. It's like, okay, this person is sort of like me. They like the same things we do, easy breezy. But when you're an adult and you've got a family, you've got a job, you have to be intentional about, hey, you guys want to get together on Friday night? Hey, you want to do this on Thursday? And then if the other person says, nah, I'm too busy, then eventually after a couple of like, I'm too busies, they move on to something else because like, okay, cool. Not there. So I I think that's also, you know, it's so funny. I mean, it's, it's such a a tired cliche word, but like if we were more intentional about many things, Mm -hmm. we would be probably a little more friendlier, probably a little more open. We'd probably be, have less issues. I mean, we're all going to have issues, but like if we could, you know, we're all going to have a shit ton of things we got to get through Coco, but if we could reduce some of the tonnage, (laughs) it makes us better. I think. I agree. Intentionality is extremely important. And, you know, we we refuse to be intentional, I think, because, again, if we're living in that space over here of denial and avoidance, 
you know, being intentional means we have to face our stuff first. We can't be intentional with others if we're not intentional with ourselves. And mm. there's a, a large population of people who are specifically not being intentional because they don't want to face their own stuff. They mm. want to be in the swiping frenzy. They want to be con- being consumed in distraction because the second they're not distracted, they actually have to face their own stuff. Mm. And this, I do think there's a change here. I think millennials sort of began it. We're like overly obsessed with diagnosis and like mental health. Like I think mm. we're like, Bleh! and then Gen mm. Zers decided to take that to TikTok and now they're all diagnosed with ADHD and they all have bipolar and they all have a personality disorder, like every one of them. And then, and then the alpha generation is like, but what about the earth? Could we, <laughs> like, can we make sure that the earth is here? <laughs> like yeah. there are little earth warriors. They're like, I don't care about your mental illness. The earth is dying. Like, can yeah. we come back to this? Which I let my daughters like, mom, you do know that like, we won't live very long if the earth is dying. I'm like, we will be dead. Yes, you're right, honey. Yes. She's like, then why are we using plastic? I'm like, mm. Yep. Good point. Yep. Why yeah. do we have cars with gas? You know, I. Why do people kill endangered animals? You know, money, power. I don't. I don't know how to explain yeah. it to you, my sweet little eight-year-old. Yeah. But it's like I love watching. I think. I think we're moving towards that, and that gives me hope. I will say that. Yeah. Like when when I get into these places where I'm like, look at our culture and our society. We're a burning yeah. pile of shit, and I'm like, oh well, look at the younger generations. Yeah. Let's look at what's happening because change is coming. Change will always come. Evolution will always come. And we may not be in time to save the planet, but we definitely are seeing generations upon generations shift and change in a positive direction. And yeah. that that brings me hope always. Yeah. And another thing, too, to tell the younger people is like, but we're all flawed. Like we yes. you, you, know, you may not notice you're young. You may not notice your flaws yet, but you have them. Uh, it got me thinking of uh, Bill Maher, who's, you mm-hmm. know, whether you love him or hate him. Conversation. Uh, he, he's huge about the environment, like yes. the impact of the environment. He's against cryptocurrency because of all the mining and how much energy yes. he uses. But he flies private. Yep. <laughs> and he said, and he goes, "Listen, I know I'm a hypocrite, but once you fly private, you'll never want to fly on a jet plane." <laughs> and he recognizes that. So I think, and, and, and this may draw to to some of your therapies. Like, if you can recognize your flaws and not use them as some sort of you know, defense mechanism or some sort of way to uh, to shield yourself. Like, as long as you know, like, hey, listen, this is the this is my one flaw. Like, for example, like I will even as much as I care about the environment, I'll sometimes throw a can into the regular garbage. You know what I mean? And I, I it's just I get right it. there. Just <laughs> yeah. and I get it. I and yeah. I'm like, I'm why did I do that? But I think recognizing that, and I think it has a lot to do with what we're talking about. It's like as long as you're aware, yes, of what. And one of the things I talk about and wrote about in my book is self awareness. Like if mm. you are self aware about yourself and self aware of your flaws, that will help you with other human beings because yes. you'll know, oh shit, I did that one thing with that person. You don't have to wait for the other person to tell you, hey, you probably shouldn't have said that, or why did you do that? It's like, oh shoot, I sh- I really should have been more aware of my my surroundings or people around me so uh if if we were more of aware of our own skins our own minds Mm -hmm. our own words that would also help too oh i agree i agree joe i could talk to you for hours (laughs) we're we're getting close to the end of our hour and i i want i want people to hear how they can find you uh find your book find your podcast because i'm sure like there's a lot of my listeners that are gonna be like okay i i love what this guy has to say i want to maybe one 
Maybe my stuff. mom listens or something. I don't I, know. You know, I, I love the self-deprecating humor, but you know you've got some audience members listening in. Or Well, I appreciate it, Coco. <laughs> well, I'm very easily Googleable, if that's a word. So just Google Joe Partavila. My book, Good Listen, is available on Amazon. Right. I'm active on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Joe Partavila. So hit me up there. All my information's easily found online. And uh, I appreciate the conversation, Coco. Uh, I know we went all different directions. Directions, but it. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. That is, that's how I roll on here. We we just we we go all over the map, and it it, it hits people in so many different ways. It's one of my favorite mm. parts. Okay, well, for those of you that are looking for Joe, go ahead and Google him. He's Googleable. <laughs> and uh, until next time, uh, choose your life for today and let the rest burn. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single second that you chose to set aside for you and the impact that you're going to have on the world today. To be inspired, to be seen, and to hold space starts with the very actions we take with ourselves. Look at the show notes for more information. Like and subscribe and share with friends if you feel inspired to. And as always, let the rest burn. Burn.